Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace this morning, being thankful for all that you've done for us to this point in our lives. Firstly, for the great salvation and the great saviour that you have provided for us in the form of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us never to forget that we were once purchased for our sin, from our sins. Bless now the word as we look into it. Open the hearts of all of us here, and especially of he that is giving the message. Though it be a vessel of clay, we pray that the glory and the power would be from thee. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I felt uh, led to look at the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of an entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in his place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not have oft afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore remaineth a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labour, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have great, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin." 
Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Dear ones, this chapter came to mind in counselling with individuals that are going through a difficult time in their lives. And there are so many questions as to why is life so difficult? Why is God not hearing my prayer? Or why is God allowing this to happen? Perhaps being somewhat very surprised or shocked that when you become a Christian, things will be that difficult. After all, when we become Christians, aren't we supposed to have peace and joy? Aren't we supposed to be happy? Aren't we supposed to have power over sin? If that's the case, why is this happening? Why aren't, I, why aren't I happy? Why do I find things to be so onerous or dutiful that everything's done out of ab obligation because I have to? Perhaps one of the major reasons, not perhaps, I'm pretty sure it is, is that we, and I'm speaking collectively, and we at time to time, each and every one of us, some more, some less, some more often, some less often, less often, we lack faith. We lack trust. If the road that we are going down doesn't look right, we immediately question, oh, am I supposed to be going down this road? Why is God leading me down this road? And in the back of our minds, we really know, we really believe perhaps that God doesn't make mistakes, but it's probably easier at that time to somehow point the finger at God. God, if you knew what I was going through, then why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you giving me what I'm asking for? Why is it so difficult? One reason I believe that is because we lack faith, is because we sort of forget where we have come from. We forget the great salvation that God has wrought in us 
we think that our present life is really the focus of my existence, my comfort, my happiness. And if I'm not comfortable and happy and healthy, then I'm turning back. I have a feeling that I need to turn back to when I was more happy. This was the focus or the context of Hebrews chapter 4. There is no question in my mind that the writer of Hebrews, perhaps the Apostle Paul, we're not sure, is writing to believers. Verse 3 says, For we which have believed, he's addressing believers. Because of their circumstances, and we've already talked so much this, this morning about persecution. We had it in our prayer meeting. We have it in our prayer today. When persecution sets in, we want to go back to where we, we, we thought we were more comfortable. So we can we can. We can generalize that even more when difficulties arise some of which could be persecution we question are we doing going down the right path does God care for me does God know what he's doing and two or three times in The book of Hebrews, it talks about what David said in a psalm. He's referring to Psalm 95. In verse 7 of Hebrews says, He limiteth a certain day, saying to, in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts. Now, in the book of Hebrews, the same book, chapter 3, verse 7, he says the same thing. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. As in the day of provocation, when you tempted me and saw my works. If we go back to the book of Exodus, chapter 17, they had barely relatively speaking over when you look take 40 years into, into consideration, they had barely exited out of Egypt. And they remember the pain and the suffering of Egypt. They remember the bondage. They remember the abuse. They remember the oppression. They remember the, the, the terrible conditions in which they lived. And 
And after exiting from bondage, after being led out with a mighty hand, after being led across the sea of the Red Sea in dry, as on dry land, and Pharaoh and his armies were completely decimated, they come to their one of their first major trials and they have no water. And they complained to Moses. And Moses said to them, Why do you chide with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is it that thou hast brought us up out of the Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. So the messenger gets stoned or attempted stoning. Why are you arguing with me? You're tempting the Lord when you do that. It's not my word, it's God's word. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take thee of the elders and Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, take into thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee upon the rock in Horeb and thou shalt smite the rock and there shall come water out of it and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The first test, major test. And they're questioning, where's God? Is he with us or not? Does he care for us or not? You go to Numbers chapter 20. This is the waters of Meribah in the desert of Sin in Exodus 17. Now we come to the waters of Meribah in Numbers chapter 20 in Kadesh. Verse 2, And there was no water for the congregation, and they gathered themselves again together unto Moses. They forgot what happened in Sin. And they complained. And they spoke with Moses, Would to God we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. And why have ye brought us up the congregation of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our cattle should die here? And therefore have ye made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this place, evil place. It is no place of seed or figs or vines or pomegranates. pomegranates. Neither is there water to drink. Their first mistake was that they, re they didn't realize they hadn't arrived yet to the promised land. They were saying, why did you bring us to this place? Well, they hadn't arrived at, arrived at the promised land yet. And they're complaining. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And then God told Moses... In the first instance, God told Moses in Exodus 17 to strike the rock and bring forth water. In the second instance, God says to Moses, speak to the rock 
and bring forth water. And Moses was angry. And he struck the rock. Hear ye now, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod, he, with his, uh, rod, he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Moses and Aaron would not enter the promised land. Even though Moses believed God, yet he disobeyed God in his anger. And it cost him entry into the promised land. He never sanctified the people. There are many different, perhaps, conjectures about to why Moses did that. I'm not going to go into that. The bottom line is Moses disobeyed. This was what was recorded in Psalm 95, where, they re, where the author would, does not give a title, but in the book of Hebrews, it says it was David. And then again in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, it says it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke to David. And then in chapter 4... <clears throat> What really caught my attention was none of these came to rest that murmured and complained. It says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, nor being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The gospel was preached. To the Israelites, the gospel was preached to the Israelites, to them and to us, the writer of Hebrews says. The Holy Spirit was working in the time of David and in the time of the Exodus as well. And the Holy Spirit is working in us today. It's the same Holy Spirit that reminds us and convicts us and speaks to us as to who we were and where we are today. You see, they forget because they live for the present. And so when bad things happen, there's always this temptation to say, does God know what he's doing? Does God make things happen to me? Force things upon me? Does he bring evil upon me? I was reading through this morning through the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 31, 
God tells Moses, That he's not going to enter and he's going to give his leadership over to Joshua. But he says, when the people go in, they will turn to other gods. He says, and the Lord said unto Moses, behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. Verse 16 of chapter 31. And this people will rise up and go a whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, whither they go to be among them and will forsake me. And will break my covenant which I have made with them. Then my answer shall be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them. And I will hide my face from them. And they shall be devoured. And many evils and troubles shall befall me so. Shall befall them. So that they will say in that day. Are not these evils come upon us. Because our God is not among us. Israel was asking the question, is God among us? They got their answer. Why is not God among us? Because they went a whoring after other gods. They forsook their covenants. They turned to someone else they thought could give them deliverance from their present situation. Other gods. The golden calf. Their bellies. You see, God was not the author of their ills that fell upon them, the, the diseases, the pestilences, the deaths. God was not the author. God never sent them. He just withdrew himself. And that's exactly what Thessalonians 2 says, 2 Thessalonians. There will come a time when he that will let, will let no longer, and he'll pull himself away, if I can paraphrase that. God is withholding evil. His common grace is upon every creature. But there comes a time when God withdraws his spirit. And he says, you want to go down that way here, let me let you go. Let me let, me let you do what you want to do. And he pulls away. I found that very remarkable, even in the Old Testament. Romans 1 says it, the Old Testament says it. God says, if that's the way they want to go, I'm going to withdraw. Chapter 32. And, and Moses was in, the, was in the process of rewriting the law. Can you believe it? He wrote the law. In chapter 32, he gives the law to the Levites. He says, put it in the Ark of the Covenant. And he tells them, God tells them through Moses, you know, I, I wanted you to have this land that flows with milk and honey. Let him ride on the high places of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields and make him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, butter of kine and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams of, of the breed of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat that they didst drink the pure blood of grape. But Jeshurun, 
Jeshurun, some symbolic name for Israel, uh, personified like a, like a, a cow, waxed fat and kicked. I fed them this, this cattle. She got fat and then she kicked back at the one that fed her. She bit the hand that fed her. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. And how many times I was just uh, amazed at the times that the word rock is used here. They sacrificed unto the devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to gods that came newly up, of whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art undermindful. The rock that begat you, the one that brought you into existence, that brought you forth, you don't even have pay attention to. And you have forgotten that God that formed thee. And this is where the only word one of two occasions in the Old Testament that the word of faith is used. 32, verse 20 of Deuteronomy. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see their end, what their end shall be. For they are a very froward generation, children in whom is no faith. Now, th these are very, very harsh words. The Old Testament was very harsh. It was just to the point. But yet Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, opens up chapter 4 and says, Let us therefore fear. Let us therefore fear. God is still the same God. God has become very gracious to us, but he's still the same God. We are not come to that Mount Horebus Sinai, where if even uh, a, an animal would touch the mount, he'd be thrust through with a spear because the mount was so holy when God was there. We've not come to that, Hebrews 12 said, a few more chapters later on. We've come to Sion. We've come to Calvary. We've come to the city of where just men are made perfect. <clears throat> For ye are not come to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire unto the nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they heard that heard which Voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it was stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem 
to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. which are written in heaven and to the God, the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh for if they escaped not whom refused him that spake on earth much more shall we not escape if we shall turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. That's why he said, let us fear. Should a Christian fear? Yes, he should fear God. Not just what God can do to him or to me or to you. We should fear God. We should revere God. We should have such trembling respect and reverence for this God that we are a part of, this majestic being who created everything. We should fear him. I was taken aback, not taken, I was very uh, touched when we read from, we sang from verse 16 in 185, what we sang this morning. Then journey on reliant. Thy goal is well worthwhile. Of all things be defiant that hinder or beguile. Earth, thou art small indeed. You are so small, earth. What you have to offer is so small. All your temptations and provocations and, and allurements and all that is so small compared to the God that we serve. So when someone approaches me and says, oh, I find being a Christian boring. Or I don't get much out of visiting widows. I ask, have you forgotten where you've come from? Have you forgotten where, why we are here? Have you forgotten you're part of this majestic kingdom? Why are we second-guessing God? Why we, do we second-guess God when things get difficult and tough? Why do we want to throw the towel in? Because my present physical needs are not being met. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6 says this.
concerning physical needs. Wherefore I say unto you, verse 25, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap, neither gather nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of what? Little faith. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, and the Gentiles do not have the kingdom of God in them. Wherefore we shall we be clothed? For ye, your heavenly Father, knows that ye have need of all these things. God knows what we need. God knows we need food, water, protection, warmth, companionship, all these things. God knows. But he says, but seek ye first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. You know, some may take that verse as saying, well, that pertains to the time before I was converted. When I was not converted, the command to me was to seek first the kingdom of God and then he's going to provide everything else. That's not what he said. The gospel is not just for the unconverted, brothers and sisters. The gospel is not just for the unconverted. It's for all of us. He says the gospel was preached unto them as it is to us today, to the believers. Because in the gospel are timeless truths. Truths that are good for every situation in life. The Sermon on the Mount pertains to believers especially. And so what Jesus was saying, live on this earth as if you were living in his kingdom now. In his prayer, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven now. Live as a kingdom child. If ye then be risen with Christ, Paul writes to the Colossians, seek those things which are above. And if those things which are below have priority or precedence over things that are above, then we have missed the mark. We have forgotten why we are saved. Paul writes to the, to the Ephesians, chapter 2, 
For by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. We are his creation, if you will, recreation in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The purpose, my loved ones, is of salvation is not to get us out of hell and into heaven. That's not the main purpose of salvation. That is a benefit. But the main reason we have been created is to work and serve him and one another, to bring forth fruit on the vine, which is Jesus Christ. And if we forget that and we say, well, this work is pretty tiring, it's pretty laboring, laborious, it's pretty boring, and I'm not getting my physical needs fulfilled, we missed the mark. There are people that preach that today. The health and wealth movement. If you're not healthy and you're not wealthy, you're not a Christian. If you're, you're having problems and difficulties in your life, you're not a Christian. What kind of a God will allow that to happen to his child? The Holy Spirit told Ananias about Paul, I will show him all the things that he will suffer for my name's sake. If we have conscripted into the army of God, and Paul uses that metaphor of the soldier, he said he, that is a soldier, doesn't entangle himself with the affairs of this life that the affairs of this life are what take precedence and priority. You may, you may think that you are not the Apostle Paul, and I am not the Apostle Paul. We may think, I like to use the term we, so I don't point fingers at people. We may think that we are not the Apostle Paul, and he had a special calling. Yeah, and he had this thing to do, and he, he had a mission, and that's why he forsook everything else. And he even gave his life up. But he's in a class of his own. When I read Apostle Paul's um, letter to the Philippians, I just want to share with you a few verses which I put down for the sake of expediency, so I don't forget them. In Philippians 1.21, what did Paul say? He, he says... Verse 19, backing up. For I know how this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but with that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or death. His goal was that Christ would be magnified, glorified in his own body, whether it's in life or whether he, 
whether he dies doing so. What was his purpose in life? For me to live is Christ. To the Corinthians he writes, our sufficiency is of God. Everything that we always at any time need is sufficient and will be provided by God. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse uh, 14 of chapter 3. This, is, this was, was the, in the forefront of, of uh, Paul's mind. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. This was the most glorious thing that he could be doing here on this earth. This was the most glorious thing that he could be doing on this earth because earth is so small. The kingdom of God is so glorious. And to be part of God's army, to be part of God's kingdom is the most glorious, highest calling that we could ever have. Verse 9. Uh, let's, let's back up even. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. I don't care what I lose in this life. What I lose, I count it but dung, as long as I win Christ. And I want to be found in him. Not having my own stinky righteousness. My own filthy righteousness, filthy rags. Which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. I want to know Jesus. I want to get to know him more and more. I want to get him so much more that I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to feel the full power of his resurrection. What is that? A victorious life. A victorious life. He rose again from that grave unto a newness of life as we rise unto a newness of life in baptism. And I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. I want to know Jesus so much. I want to know what it was like for him to suffer. If in any way I can, in, in the smallest way, know what it was like for him to suffer. And I want to be made conformable to his death. As Jesus died to everything, Jesus said to, to the Jews, Lo, Satan has come, he's found, this world has found nothing in me. There's nothing that they can convict me about or convince me of sin. If by, any, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, my dear brother and sister, can we say we've come to that point? That we've sought Jesus, we've sought God, we've sought his glory, we've tried to search his mind, we've tried to understand his, his pain and suffering. We want to be so much like our master, we want to go through everything that he went through to feel what he went through and do what he did. 
How can we say then, my life is boring? My life is hard. My life is difficult. I'm not getting what God, what I've asked God to give me. I think I'm going to go back. I think I'm going to turn around. And just keep reading in Philippians and you'll see Paul in a prison cell writing and telling them, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. My dear brother and sister, if you think you have nothing to do in the kingdom of God that's exciting, have you talked to your unconverted siblings? Have you tried to preach to them or make an an attempt to have a relationship with them so that your words to them will be more acceptable and more received? Not just get the Bible and say, the Bible says you've got to do this. Have you attempted to make this relationship with your brother or sister or your friend at work or school? Have you attempted to visit people like Conrad? I'm ashamed that I, this is my first time in many years. Have you attempted to visit the sick, the widows, the orphans? And try to feel what they're feeling. Try to give them a voice of encouragement, of hope. But you've done none of these things and then you say, Christian, Christianity is boring. Then my question to you is, I wonder what you were saved from. And I wonder what you were saved unto. What were we saved unto? We've missed the point if we can't answer those questions. My prayer is that every one of us can remember how great a sinner we were and what a great salvation God has given to us and what a great high calling he's given to us as his children. And perhaps that'll motivate us and provoke us into serving him. To him be the glory. Amen. A brother this morning texted me uh, about a story happening in Pakistan about a young mother of four who... uh, her Muslim co-workers didn't think she should be allowed to drink water from a vessel, at, uh, from the, the same thing, and um, she was being persecuted, and, and she, for being a Christian, that she wasn't allowed to do that, and so she simply responded and said, uh, my Jesus rose from the grave, what did Muhammad ever do for you? 
As a result, she um, was put into prison under a death sentence for blasphemy against Muhammad, because that's the rule of the law in Pakistan. And uh, two politicians who, who tried to speak up in her defense were assassinated, murdered. And now that finally um, uh, she's actually been acquitted, the whole country is in uproar of wanting her and her family to, to suffer, to die, for simply being a Christian and having the courage to stand up for the name of Jesus. Our own our own struggles, and we all have disappointments in life and things that we wish were better, and sometimes small things, small things that we offer up in service to our God are pretty light, especially as we've talked about Apostle Paul, who, who had such tremendous joy, who said, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, who who found his sufficiency. And yet, so often, we, our, our eye is off the price. So often, I can look at what this world is offering with its glitz and glamour and, 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 and offering as what you should and you deserve and, and what never satisfies. <clears throat> this morning, we've been challenged not with <clears throat> health and wealth gospel, not with come and be a Christian and you will have a path of roses. We've been challenged with come and enter into, the, into God's rest. It's one where you will never be alone. It's one where you will never feel <clears throat> that your life is wasted. Even though, even though Mary was accused as she broke that alabaster, expensive 300 days of labor of nard on, on Jesus' feet, and what a waste. Your life will not be wasted if it's poured out on the feet of Jesus. But if you keep it in that bottle, that would be a waste. Let's serve our Lord with everything because he deserves it. Well, that would conclude this morning's service.